0: You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, ChristianHumanist.org. All the girls are complicated. episode number 152 of the Christian Feminist Podcast on the new film Black Widow. I'm Katie Grubbs and with me today are Sarah Klooster and Aylea Grubbs. Hi friends.
1: Hi. Hey friend.
0: We're going to start out by introducing ourselves for any listeners who don't know us and Sarah let's start with you.
1: Hi, my name is Sarah Klooster. I work in uh, child welfare out in West Texas, and I'm a big Marvel fan, so I was very excited to watch this movie, and I'm currently mainly dealing with a teething, diaper rash-filled baby in my spare time.
0: I will ha- keep you in my prayers. <laughs>
1: That's not an easy stage
0: at all. Ilya, um, how about you?
2: My name is Ilea Danner Grubbs. I live in Birmingham, Alabama with my husband and two young children, and uh, I'm a elementary education teacher by trade, but now I'm at home homeschooling full-time, and that's pretty much all we do these days.
0: Thanks. I'm Katie Grubbs, and I live in Leeds, Alabama. Um, listeners, Uh, Eileen and I are related
2: (laughs) and we live in the same town now it's so exciting
0: now Uh, almost the same city now yeah it's very exciting Um, we're sisters-in-law so um, it's not just like a Smith and Smith thing where we're not actually related to each other Um, I'm Katie Grubbs and I live in Leeds Alabama as I said with my husband David Grubbs of the Christian Humanist podcast and we with our four children Um, I spend most of my time mothering um, like my compadres in this episode we have four kids um, but I'm also a part-time college professor. I'm an online, fully online adjunct for Houston Baptist University. And that's a really cool sideline in um, an interesting way to kind of keep a foot in the academic world. Um, I am also a huge fan of Marvel, which is um, going to segue into the next bit, which is why are we talking about Black Widow? Um, I suggested this topic months ago before the twice delayed <laughs> release that we're going to talk about in a little bit. Uh, I have watched every MCU movie, I think some of them uh, several times, and I've always really, really enjoyed Natasha Romanoff, a.k.a. the Black Widow, not just because she's one of the few women in, in these movies, but I also just think she's very, very interesting in her own right. And because she was finally getting... Uh, the focus of a feature film all about her it seemed like the appropriate time to finally talk about her we could have done it earlier she's been in a lot of these movies but this felt like the right time so that's why we're talking about it now Um, and so we're going to kind of segue into our knowing section by just um, like we often do by delving back into the past just a little bit so my first question tonight is when did you first encounter Black Widow and what do you find interesting about the character? And I'll, I'll start um, because I just kind of was had started into that a little bit. Um, I saw Black Widow for the first time in Iron Man 2, which was the first movie that that character was featured in. Um, I had not encountered the character before that because I am only a Marvel movies person. I haven't read all the comic books. So I realized that her whole story is very, very different in the comics world. So sorry, listeners, if you're comic book fans, I don't know about you guys, maybe you guys have experience. I don't have any experience with the comics. So everything that I'm going to say tonight about Black Widow and and why I like her is all going to be related to the films because that's just what I know. But, um, I, I didn't love the character when I first encountered her the way that I did later. But I also think that's because the character was allowed to grow and expand over time. And I think that, um, she was better written in some of those later movies than she was in Iron Man 2. So, you know, we can talk more about that too in a little bit. Um, One of the most interesting things about her to me is that she does have this capacity to um, create family um, in the absence of biological family, which is something we're going to talk about later. And she's a person who has um, enormous care for other people and, um, and, and love for others, but that isn't, um, expressed in typically, stereotypically feminine ways. And I, I think that's really, um, really, really interesting. So, um, what about you, Ailea? When did you first encounter Black Widow?
2: Yeah, I like you, um, Iron Man 2 was the first time I saw her. Um, I, like you, have not read any of the Marvel comics other than Squirrel Girl, but that's a different podcast episode. Um, but I, um, my husband has, and my sister and my brother-in-law have. They're all very big into comic books, um, and graphic novels, and all that stuff. And so I get a lot of secondhand information from them about, you know, I'll, I'll say my thing about the movie, and they're like, okay, well, in the comics. And then I get to hear all about how how the characters have, you know, been developed over the last like 50 years, and and all of these different arcs and all the different universes. So I don't have any kind of a, a masterful grasp on that, but I do have a little bit of awareness of some of the ways that, you know. The comics are different from the, the movies and stuff, um, which, you know, I think will come up a little bit later, especially when we talk about like Taskmaster and stuff. But um, but yeah, I like her um, like you. You know, she's definitely been allowed to grow. So I like her more now than I did at the beginning. You know, at the beginning, I mean, even Scarlett Johansson has talked about that at the beginning. She didn't really like the character because it's just kind of a eye candy you know, thing. Um, but but it is interesting how she's been allowed to grow and how. She has kind of held her own little niche in um, a group of really overpowered heroes, you know, as a just mortal, um, you know, her and Hawkeye. But uh, but even like Hawkeye has like more combat abilities than she does. So it's been interesting to see how they've kind of preserved her character, even though, um, you know, she is really outproportioned by a lot of the others. I think that's interesting. Sarah, what about you?
1: Well, readers or listeners, it's a uh, clean sweep. I also first found Black Widow in Iron Man 2. And probably like most everyone else, you know, she had this, it was like, oh, Scarlett Johansson. She always plays like super over the top sexualized characters. And in my head. Ten years ago or more, when I first saw Iron Man 2, I probably sat there and thought I knew exactly who Black Widow was going to be because they cast cast Scarlett Johansson and I think that that's really turned out to be very different uh they've had I think on in a couple of the movies I think they've used her as like a romantic crutch a little bit they did that in um Winter Soldier a little bit they've had Mm -hmm. her be the you know she's always kind of like oh she kind of tames the wild beast so she had like a thing with Bruce Banner or something and that was the low point (laughs) yeah in of voltron right where like she could like it wasn't even, like, romantic, but they had, like, a special friendship or something where she could, like, really calm him down. And she he she was, like, his special person, but it wasn't really, like, a romantic thing. I well, they think. And then so they, they kind of have these little one-offs where they've, like, they've had her doing, like, oh, okay, so maybe she's going to be with Captain America. Okay, never mind. They drop it. Okay, maybe she's going to be with Ruf- Okay, never mind. They're going to drop it. And it feels like the last two or three movies, especially in uh, what we see, how she's so incredibly important in... Uh, Infinity War and Endgame that she actually like she really proves herself to be one of the most compelling of all of the Avengers because let's be honest she's like the only person spoiler uh, who dies everybody else like gets to come back after the snap and she's the only one where she looks at her and she, she truly makes a huge sacrifice everybody else gets to come back But I think that that adds a huge depth, especially with what we know with her now, right? Because we had one of the things that we see is it's kind of like, well, she's like, I don't have very much, Clint. You have a family. So I'm going to let myself be the person who sacrifices them for herself, right? And so you're like, well, okay, she doesn't have a family. But this movie gives you the backstory that she actually did have a lot that she was leaving behind, right? So I think that makes that an even more informed decision and tells us even more about how sacrificial her character really is.
2: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I actually, um, and I was just talking about this with David today, I actually feel a little bit differently about that sacrifice because to me, especially if you think about everything that they show you of Hawkeye and his family and their relationship with her in Age of Ultron, which is otherwise very flawed, to me, she's not sacrificing herself so that he can be with his family. She's sacrificing herself for their family. Like, I think she thinks of his family as her family. I mean, you know, her his, his kids call her aunt. The baby's literally named after her, or was gonna be if he had been a baby girl. You know, so That's I feel true. like I feel like it. They're fighting for the chance to sacrifice themselves for the same people. You know what I mean? Um, but I, I can understand why a lot of people were frustrated by that scene. I always really I really appreciate that she was. Um, given the chance to make the big sacrifice because usually superhero movies tends to be women and children first scenarios. Um, And Mm -hmm. usually it's a man who makes the big sacrifice. So I actually really appreciated that it was her because, um, particularly because it was irrevocable. Right. And they make a point of saying that they're, they're not, she's not just going to get to come back, um, later, you know, but, uh, and well, and I see that, I mean, literally the exact same thing happens to Gamora, <laughs> but that's not, that's kind mm-hmm. of been her story is very different and that's not, uh, and she hadn't played the same role in the MCU that, that black widow did. She's pretty much been confined to the, the guardians movies. Um, Well, thank you guys for giving me kind of a little bit of your your backstory with her um, just to kind of before we dive in. So, um, listeners, before we move on to a kind of more in-depth, thoughtful discussion, we just wanted to give some information for anybody listening who hasn't watched every Marvel movie (laughs) like we have done. Um, So we're going to kind of go through some more specific information about her trajectory through the MCU, but then also on the making of this film which Ali is gonna take us through. And then Sarah is gonna give us a little plot summary of this movie so that um, you kind of know where we are. So um, just to give some background and just to kind of hit the highlights, um, as we said before, she made her debut in Iron Man 2. That was in 2010, which feels like a million years ago. Um, in that film, she starts out very overtly sexy. Um, she's undercover, uh, keeping an, basically keeping tabs on Tony Stark. Um, she's working for shield undercover and the first things you find out about her are that she's a reformed assassin. So she used to kill people for the bad guys. um, And then Hawkeye turned her um, and now she kills people for the good guys. Right. Um, And so she's on the good side now and she has all these skills. She can speak lots of languages um, and, you know, has these different kind of combat skills and um, she, uh, was in, has been in um, six of the movies besides Iron Man 2. There's also Avengers, Captain America Winter Soldier, uh, Avengers Age of Ultron, Captain America Civil War, Avengers Infinity War, and Avengers Endgame. <laughs> she's in all of those movies. Um, and apparently is in a mid-credits scene in Captain Marvel, which I completely forgot about. I, I didn't remember that.
2: Um, oh, is that the one where she's with um, Samuel Jackson for just like a second?
0: I don't even remember what happens in it. That's the thing. I, Wait, and I, I when
2: he's trying to. What?
0: No, well, I was just say I found myself wondering, did we not actually stay through the credits, which is a shocker. We always stay through the credits. So
2: I don't know. I'm trying why. trying to remember that's the one with the pager where he's trying to page. I don't that, know. You
0: know that's in, no, that's in
2: that's different. The end
0: of a different one. That's and he's with the Maria Hill.
2: That's who he's you're with right. You're right. You're right. They
0: both like turn to dust. They get snapped. Yeah. I don't even know. I Like I would have to go back and look. Um, And she kind of you kind of find out more about her over time. So in the Avengers, the first Avengers movie, she says that she has, quote, red in her ledger. And she wants to get rid of it. And Loki cast up to her some bad things that she's done um, in the past, tries to taunt her. Um, things that come up in this exact movie, right? They went back to that same stuff. He taunts her with Dreykov's daughter and um, some other things. And so kind of her worst things that she regrets the most about her past um, working for Russia. Um, you find out eventually that literally it's called the Red Room where she was trained and um, And interestingly, the first in the MCU, the first kind of um, view you get of the Red Room is not actually um, in any of the films. It's in the series, Agent Carter. Um, There's a a, a, basically a black widow. Nobody calls her that. But I mean, she's she's a a female Russian assassin um, who's been educated at the Red Room and they show you her training in flashback. Um, And you see that before you ever see the flashback sequences in Age of Ultron, where you find out how Natasha was trained. And so. she has this past that she regrets. Um, you find that about her. Well, you also find out, um, and it's it's mentioned at length in Age of Ultron, and then it's mentioned again um, in Black Widow that at the end of their training in the Red Room, they get sterilized, so she can't have children. Um, and they kind of make some hay of that in Age of Ultron. Um, she's had these weirdly romantic Moments with some of the Avengers, like Sarah mentioned, there's like light flirtation and a random kiss to distract a bad guy in uh, the Winter Soldier. And um, as Sarah said, a special friendship that they try to turn romantic between her and Bruce Banner in Age of Ultron, but it doesn't go anywhere. Um, And basically, she is a person with a bad past who's trying to be a better person. And to the point where in in Captain America, the Winter Soldier, when it comes out that Hydra's been behind all of these things um, that S.H.I.E.L.D. has been doing, she puts all of the S.H.I.E.L.D. records on the Internet to to show what's been happening, which means that her entire past is now public. She's willing to reveal everything that she's done in public so that the truth can come out. Right. Right. Um, and, uh, that is something people talk about her fighting skills and we, you know, you talk about her ultimate sacrifice that she makes and all that stuff is really important, but that's something that people never mention that I forget about sometimes, but that in in many ways is, is that's, I mean, that's it, that's a huge deal. That's a huge sacrifice. You know, you've been this assassin, your whole life has been hidden and cloaked and, you know, only people you choose to tell have to know that you used to be a killer for the KGB. Right. Um, but then she just puts it on the internet and now everybody in the world knows that about her. Um, And uh, so she sacrifices herself, like we said, to get the Soul Stone in Avengers Endgame. um, In part because she has a really tight relationship with um, Clint Barton, Hawkeye's family. Um, And that's that's my favorite part. Actually, it has many, many, many flaws. But my favorite part of Avengers Age of Ultron are the scenes of her with his family, Um, because you get to see that um she says over and over that the avengers are her family and that's true that's her you know but also you get to see her um having a, a family relationship that's multi-generational so she's very close with his children and you get to see that and you kind of
2: get to you know you get to see that she has people in her life who care about her you know uh, I and i always just love it like in that sorry to interrupt but like that <laughs> The, the platonic relationship that she has with Hawkeye, I think, is really cool to see. Like, it's so rare, right, to see two, like, a male and a female character that are really good friends that it doesn't become romantic. And, like, you always kind of wonder if they had a romantic past and you find out that, no, he's married. And you realize, like, no, this is just a really good platonic friendship and that the wife is friends with her. Like, it's just this really healthy dynamic that you see that is just really rare when you have a hot superhero, you know, character. I think that's really important.
0: Yeah, yeah, she's not looked upon as an interloper, as an enemy, you know, their whole, his whole family has, has brought her in, you know, um, and she's, she's close. Yeah, I, I, that's a great point that I hadn't occurred to me to say, and I, and I like that too, that they kind of develop, he, she has that really tight relationship with him the whole time, but then you also get to see her develop, to me, a, a, a good friendship with um, Steve Rogers too, um,
2: mm-hmm. that
0: kind of starts happening in Winter Soldier, and then in kind of especially an end game you get to see there there are two of the few that have been that didn't get snapped and they've been here the, the whole time you know um trying to make things work and they're kind of clinging to each other a little bit um and so yeah I, I really appreciate those friendships um because also they just show you that none of her colleagues that they don't see her as just you know a set of boobs right i mean they you know they, right. they there's a respect that they have for her um so that's that's kind of where she fits overall into the general MCU continuity. I guess is the is the right word. Um, though this movie Black Widow is a look into the past, right? Because when this movie came out, her character had already died <laughs> in Avengers Endgame. So this is like a flashback, um, and this movie is supposed to be happening immediately after the events of um,
2: Civil Winter War, Soldier,
0: right? Or Civil War. That's right. Civil War. Um, after the events of Captain America Civil War, because at the end of that movie, she lets Cap and Bucky Barnes escape um, so they can go chase a bad guy and an act that would be contis- considered treasonous. So she goes on the run and then that's when this story happens. So it's kind of a, a flashback, I guess. Um, so just with that, I kind of that whole that's that's the whole landscape, the whole universe that, that she fits into. So can you tell us, Ailea, a little bit about this specific film and how it got made Um and how it has finally shown up
2: here. <laughs> how be it? Literally. Yeah, I, yeah, it has been a ride. Like I didn't realize Lionsgate was trying to make this film all the way back in 2004. So it has been, Whoa. you know, yeah, like 18 years this film has been trying to get made. Um, They had a director ready. David Hayter was going to write it and direct it, um, but then it kind of didn't go anywhere and the rights reverted back to Marvel a couple of years later. Um, and, you know, that was right when all the MCU kind of was, was getting going. Um. And then, of course, like you said, she was in Iron Man 2 in 2010. um, And in 2010, they were already talking about doing a solo movie with her. Um, But, of course, it didn't they didn't actually even start until like 2017. um, Got the director in 2018. Um, They and I should say, like, um, the director is Kate Shortland. um, But the screenplay was written by Eric Pearson. And, um, of course, we talked about Scarlett Johansson already, but um, Florence Pooh is in it, David Harbour, Rachel Weiss, and a bunch of other people, but those are my favorites. Um, and it is uh, produced by Marvel Studios and Disney. Um, so, after 2017, when the work started, they finally got, you know, the director set up and everything. Filming took place in 2019, uh, the last hat, like May to October of 2019, and it was supposed to be released in May of 2020, but, of course... Um, it was delayed three times because of COVID-19 pandemic, and um, they just kept pushing it back. I, they really were trying to wait for theaters to open up, and they just kept not opening up. Um, and in spite of all of the delays, it actually has done really well. Um, it broke several pandemic box office records, which, let's be honest, it's, the bar's a little lower, you know. But still, like, it's done really well. It got 371 million worldwide it's the fifth highest grossing film of 2021. So that's really, really good. Um, and it made $67 million through Disney Plus um, just on opening weekend. And it received really good reviews from the critics, too. Um, now, the Disney Plus thing, of course, is interesting because in July of 2021, just recently, um, Scarlett Johansson filed a lawsuit against Disney um, over the simultaneous release Uh, releasing it on opening weekend in the box office, you know, in theaters and on Disney Plus because uh, her legal team argues that they were undercut. Um, Part of her payment is tied to early box office sales, like box office sales over the first X number of weeks or days or whatever. And the simultaneous release to Disney Plus, all of that money was not factored into those sales for her. They didn't try to renegotiate the contract once they decided to release it to Disney Plus. So she says that that's you know money that she deserves a cut of, so um that's kind of been in the news off and on the last couple of weeks.
0: Thank you so much. That was a really good um thorough review and it listeners, you should check out the check out her statement and the statement from Disney. I was really mad when I first started reading about that because when she filed a lawsuit against them, they released a really petty statement where they yeah. acted like. She, Foolish and terrible for launching a lawsuit during the pandemic and also revealed how much money she what her salary was for that movie, which is not done. Um, they were, I think, trying to make her look kind of greedy by telling how much money she'd already made. Yeah, um, it's it's going to be, I think, a kind of a groundbreaking lawsuit because so many movies have are getting simultaneous release now. Um, and some, you know, some actors have said, you know, they, they've, it's been clear from the beginning that that's what was going to happen, you know? Um, but when this movie came out and was, or when this movie was being filmed, I think that was right on the cusp of when that started happening. So it was like the wild west a little bit. Like, I think that they hadn't negotiated some of those things legally as well as they could have.
2: And I Um, think that she has ground to stand on it because I think Disney is scared enough that they're not releasing the 10 rings movie on, Disney plus until several weeks later. like they, they've they've gone back yeah. to just box office. So I think there were I think that if they thought that they were on solid ground that they would not care, and they would go ahead and do both. But yeah, that's they, true. They, they backed out of that, so well, and I think I'm sure
1: that, go ahead. there's a pretty massive like fan backlash on that. And you know especially Disney trying corporate Disney, who basically owns everyone's childhood and everyone's memory of happiness being like, "Oh, no. You're being greedy. I can't believe you would do something like that for money. We are so pure at heart." And like I'm yeah, sorry. This is the I'm same
2: company that yeah, they, have they
1: all their parks open. They don't require any masking in any of their parks in Florida. So this idea that they're like, "Oh my gosh, we really care." That's bull crap. Like <laughs> they just got caught with their like Yep. They just got caught and they thought that she was gonna back down and be meek about like, oh okay, well they said like she doesn't have anything to lose. That was her last movie with them. She can do whatever the heck she wants.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like she and that's that's the strongest position sometimes is having nothing to lose. And she really didn't. I you know. Um and I think probably she relates to maybe that big fans of her character were never gonna side with Disney in that anyway. Um well, Sarah, go ahead and walk us through the, the the plot of the movie just for any listeners who haven't seen it yet. Spoilers, listeners. We're gonna tell Sarah's gonna say everything, so don't you know? If stop and watch the movie if you haven't and you want to.
1: So this movie uh, starts with kind of an idyllic family in small town Ohio. It kind of, to me, it initially kind of, because I knew a little bit about what was gonna be happening. It kind of had a little bit of a vibe of, say, like, you get this vibe of the Americans, if you've ever watched that in that first little bit, because you have this family sitting there cooking. You have two daughters, you have a mom, you have a dad coming home, they're doing everything. And then all of a sudden, the dad pulls the mom aside and it's like, we gotta, you know, gotta, you know, gotta move. And so they just start pulling everything. They're just grabbing bare minimum. They're not even picking up family photos. And they're like, they're leaving. You know, well, what could this be? And so they start start on the run and it's been found out that they are, I keep wanting to say KGB spies, but this is happening apparently in 1994. So I guess they're just Russian spies. They're not KGB, Um, which also felt a little weird. I was like, really? Did we have super undercover Russian operatives after the Cold War? But okay, whatever. And so the family runs, uh, they go to a little prop plane that they've had that apparently that little prop plane has enough fuel to make it all the way to Cuba. Prop planes are very pretty <laughs> from Ohio to Cuba. It makes the flight. They never have to touch down. They make the flight. And once they get there, it's kind of, we finally get it revealed that this family was a farce. It was a sham. And so that the father was an agent. The mother was an agent. They're not married. They're just posing. And that the girls are not their kids. And that the, and then we kind of have it, and it kind of goes away. We, we kind of see the main villain, but we don't know that he's really the main villain at that point. We just kind of see him in the background. And then we move forward to, I would say modern day, but not really. So we have, we see, you know, Black Widow is escaping from uh, Secretary Ross while she's going to be on the run. And then we see essentially an older version who we figure out very quickly is the older version of the younger sister from the family unit. Her name is Yelena. And she's, she is a Black Widow operative and she's finding this other, other Black Widow operative or former Black Widow operative whose name we don't know. Never hear anything about her, but she's finding this woman and as she wins, the other woman basically like blows some like I'm going to just as I've been calling it MacGuffin dust on her. The woman blows the MacGuffin dust on her and this MacGuffin dust magically just like fixes all you just breathe it in. And it fixes all brainwashing. It just cures you of brainwashing. Now we don't know where the MacGuffin dust is. There's not a name for it. We don't know who developed it. We don't know how this other woman got it. We don't know how she became unbrainwashed. We don't know any of these things. We we don't know if this is what actually helped Natasha get unbrainwashed years ago. But we have we have MacGuffin dust. Then Yelena finds this. She sends it to Natasha who is at that point staying in Norway and has has a has like the, the 28th man in a Marvel universe who she's super friend zoned. And then the character of Taskmaster shows up, tries to intercept uh, Natasha, and she's not. And Natasha initially thinks, oh, she's after me, but she's not after Natasha. She's after the brain chemical red dust stuff, MacGuffin dust. Natasha escapes and she has the, she has the stuff with her and nobody, honestly, no one ever really asks her about it again. She kind of just carries it around, but even when she's with the villains and they talk with her, like nobody ever asks her about it. Nobody really tries to recover it again, but she has it. She, uh, she finds Yelena. They, they escape again from the taskmaster and they decide they need to kind of get the family back together, you know? And so they, they go and they, they break out their, their former um, father who is played by David Harbour. And the only thing I could think of the whole time was, was like, well, I mean, I guess he was in a Soviet. He's also in a Soviet prison in stranger things right now too. So I guess this works. Um, <laughs> and so they, they help break him out of prison and then they go, they find the uh, the mother who is the mother that I posed with them, who is Rachel Weiss. She's doing some apparently very hardcore mind control stuff that she's been working on for the Red Room. Each of them, each of the girls basically has a moment with one of the respective parents to say like, you know, this is how, this is how you hurt me. Because the parents kind of have this view, uh, the Rachel Vice and David Harbour character have this view like, well, you know, we were kind of like a family. We're like a family. And Natasha's like, no, no, we weren't. Because if y'all were actually, if you were a family, you would have actually protected us and you didn't. And Florence Pugh kind of repudiates that a little bit. She's like, it was weird, it was bad, it was it was bad, it wasn't good, but it was a family. And I, think that, and I think that that's interesting. We'll talk a little bit about that later, that, you know, family can be family even if it's bad and bad for you. It can still be your family. They, they kind of work together. They We think that the uh, mother has double-crossed them and uh, sells them to the evil Russian villain who's hiding in a flying like hella carrier castle in the sky. And apparently nobody knows that this secret world, this like secret castle in the sky is there because it's surrounded by clouds. And so no one can see it, even though we have like satellites and planes, nobody knows that this magic flying castle is there. They go there and there are apparently dozens of black widow trainees. We, we find our big bad villain who honestly he doesn't really have a motive because his motive is being evil. Yeah. There's no, yeah. There's no, he no the
0: political tradition. goal. No, he's in the grand tradition of bond villains who were just evil.
1: Yeah. he's is very evil. And he has this one line that like, he said it and I laughed because I was like, if I were an editor, I would be like, no, we have to strike this line. Cause it's too over the top. He has this line that something like, I use the most useless over the most useless resource in the entire world. Girls! Nobody cares about girls! Girls are dumb, and girls are weak, and so I manipulate them for evil, because I'm evil! And it's like, it's essentially something like that. And it's like, alright, so we're not really doing anything here except being very on the nose. Okay, that's fine. So he, Black Widow goes to to try to kill him. she can't, because he has a pheromone lock, and that whatever he has trained all the black widows that they can't physically kill him because if they smell his pheromones they they can't hurt him. So lots of dramatic stuff happens. They're help, you know, they help the other black widows escape by giving them the MacGuffin dust. And then Natasha like beats her head against the desk to sever an olfactory nerve so she can't smell him so then she can kill him. And then we have a very slow slow um collapse of this like floating castle in the sky onto Earth. And then they're all kind of like, okay, well, we're gonna head out. And she's like, I'll stay here and take, you know, and take the blame. And then that's how she ends up coming in to custody that we find in later movies. So she essentially turns herself in so the rest of the family can then kind of escape. After that, we have essentially a post-credit scene where we have the sister, uh, Yelena, who's played by Florence Pugh, who is standing at her grave. Um, There are lots of tributes there. And then the Julie Louis-Dreyfus character, who you will only know if you've watched uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier, comes and offers, has essentially offered the new Black Widow her next target, and that next target being Clint Barton. And then we end. Thanks. You, you, you encapsulated that better than I
0: could, because <laughs> there's a lot going on in this movie. Um, so let's talk about this, because as you said, there are many, many questions in this movie um, and different things that are confusing. Um, so because you finished talking about Yelena, let's talk about let's start there. Um, what is so interesting about their I'm using scare quotes, sister relationship, right? Because we find out that they're not related. Um, and in fact, we're only living as sisters for a few years as part of a, an op. Um, so what's so interesting about that relationship and or what is, as Sarah mentioned, what does this movie have to say about the importance of non-blood relationships that feel like family? So what do you guys think about that?
2: It felt a lot like um, kind of a foster family dynamic to me, like more than just uh, people who are really close and become like family like it's a it's a dynamic where there are people living together in a family situation for a while um they kind of have some shared experiences like obviously it's different than a foster family and that they're not being trained as assassins but you know bear with me but like they have the red room kind of as their shared you know, institutionalized experience, some of their shared like training and stuff. They have this family scenario where they have a couple of years and it's important in the movie that like um, Yelena's character is much younger or several years younger than um, Natasha's because she has a very different um, view of the family time she saw it as much more real um than natasha did and, and you even in the flashback at the beginning you could tell like natasha knows what's going on um yulana's character is much younger and doesn't really know it all. and that so that makes a big difference both in the way they individually relate to that time and also the way they relate to each other um but i just i feel like it's much more of a foster um kind of shared trauma shared uh overcoming of obstacles and um much kind of more of a we have to be for each other in a, you know, when things are hard, when, when we're going through stuff, then maybe even a normal sibling relationship would be because they have struggled so much. They've had so much kind of adversity already um, in their past.
1: I was going to actually 100 percent agree with you, Ailea, that my first thought when I was looking at this and like, OK, they're not real. They're not blood sisters, but they have this shared Uh, past and everything is i thought of foster children mainly because that's my job I work with foster kids every day and I think one of the things that that you see here that you see with a lot of uh, youth who age out um, is that there's this sense of like well who is my family who who are my people and so a lot of our youth try to they try to build that for themselves but you can see how if this was natasha's background that she would have really that she would have sought and found some for herself which she does and it's interesting to me that she that she feels like she is a little more able to live in the world uh, than her sister is than yelena is and i think that's because she was able to find that normalcy is a term we like to use in a uh, child pilfer a lot she was able to find that normalcy through her friend Clint, and kind of seeing that modeled, essentially, like, oh, this is healthy, normal life, and this is how people uh, live and love, and I hate using that, live, laugh, love. Uh, This is how people live together, and so she's really able, she really pushes that, and you really see how, in other Marvel movies, she is always the one, frequently, who's kind of like, guys, let's keep this together. We're a family. Like, she really focuses on that, whereas the dudes, like, you have you have tony and then you have cap was like no we can blow this all up and it's fine and you know she's like no 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 there's something here and you're gonna miss it if it's gone because i think she's aware she's already aware of what that is with that loss whereas the others aren't if that makes sense
0: yeah yeah for sure um i i i think that you guys are both right about that the only thing the main thing i have to add to that is that um My favorite scene in this entire movie is the scene of them in the car talking about the vest because that's, it's a very sisterly conversation. Like that's a conversation I could see myself having with my younger sister, you know? Um, And I really appreciated that there were some little moments like that built in where they got to have a moment where they felt, where it felt like they were having a sisterly moment that was not on mission. Like, it wasn't, you know, because it showed you that they have, they can have, and they do have a connection beyond, even as adults, beyond the mission, the shared mission. Um, and you get the feeling that at the end of the story that they will see each other again, you know, that now that they have reestablished this relationship that, um, you know, and that um, Marvel created a really nice through line with that because at the end of the movie, she gives the vest to Natasha, Right. And then people realize that it's the vest Natasha's wearing in Avengers: Infinity War. So you realize, and I think it's supposed to be like um, a couple of years. Between I think it's like two or three years are supposed to have Mm -hmm. elapsed between those two movies. So you figure out that, okay, she's still wearing something her sister gave her two or three years ago. Right. You know, like um, and so that was really kind of people online freaked out about that. Um, And it was, you know, it's nice. Like it's a it's a kind of uh, it's a connection. Um, The only other thing I'll say is that one thing that I think would have been better. One of the things I wish they had done differently in this movie is that I really felt frustrated that they didn't. And I know they did this because. They want you to think briefly that their uh, their pretend mom has betrayed them. But you never get to see the moment when uh, the Rachel Weiss character like to me, you didn't really get to see a good scene of resolution between her and Natasha. You don't get to see the you know, the conversation really to me where she says, you know, I was wrong. Like I, I, I mean she there's there's a little bit, but it's not I, I felt like that was an emotional kind of moment that I really wanted to see that I didn't get to see. Like you see, you know, you see a really great there's a great I love the scene with David Harbour and Florence Pew where she's you know, she's like yelling at him, you know, about this meant something to me. And um and you know, you just all you care about is yourself, you know. Um, but then it's revealed that he remembers the what her favorite song was when she was a tiny kid, which doesn't she say guys, tell me if I'm wrong at the end of that movie, I swear. I remembered her saying that when she was little, she thought they were her real family. Yes, she did. That's yeah. what I was saying. She was you know, young enough that, that she, she thought, it, she was thought real. it was all real. Yes. She thought it was all real. And that I was confused too. When And I mean, they're intentionally confusing you, right. To make you feel their confusion. But in the first 10 minutes, I was really confused for a second because I, I knew that you could tell that things weren't what they seemed, but I wasn't totally clear on like why they were just being handed back to Drakov, like you know and what was going to happen and and like what their relationship was to each other like because I was like really I was trying to figure out what was happening cause she pulls a gun on him you know um and I think I don't know anyway it, so yeah it was a little bit chaotic but I, I'm thinking that may, maybe that was intentional um but I I liked it because You know, like you said, Sarah, she has these moments in the other Marvel movies where she comes to she kind of seems to be the beating heart of the Avengers family. Right. Like she's the center. Um, And it was nice to see them show you her show her, you know, connecting with um with female people. <laughs> like which I mean she's close with Hawkeye's wife, but you know, to see her connecting with women, not just with this circle of bros around her that she tries to keep together mm-hmm. while they squabble. Yeah. You know? Like yeah, she's not just squad mom. Exactly. Thank you. That's a much better way to say it than how I was gonna I, I didn't have the right words. Um so um one of the things my other favorite scene in this movie is um a scene where they have just busted their fake dad out of jail and they're being sharp with him and he was like what are you on your period and she says i don't get my period um i've had a hysterectomy like don't you know anything about anything like but it's a very pointed discussion of female anatomy and the physical consequences of what they've been through and it's almost played for laughs um which I, I really appreciated because in, in, and I wanted to see what you guys thought about that scene, because it's 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 talking about the, it's the physical realities of living in a female body. And when Whedon made Age of Ultron, he got super overwrought and had her like, t- you know, talking about being sterilized in a way that was super um, emotional, but not technical. So there was all this emotion surrounding that, but there was no acknowledgement of the physical trauma. Right. Of the physical um, things that she went through, whereas this movie puts it right in your face. You know, the things that were done to them, like they're describing to him the things that were done to them. And he's really uncomfortable. Right. Um, So what did you guys think about that, about the way this movie kind of confronts those physical realities?
1: Well, I. it To me, it seemed like it really kind of it came a little bit out of nowhere when they said like, oh, okay, they kind of talk about it. And. And. I guess in the in in the world of Evil McEvilson, Doctor Evil, the villain, as I'll call him, because that's pretty much his character growth. I would say that it would it would make sense because if like let's be honest, I'm pretty sure he's probably sending these women to like they're not I'm presuming they're not just like deadly assassins sneaking in and scissor kicking people to death. They're probably also like hey, you're gonna go sleep with this person, and, like, they're probably, you know, I I would presume there's probably some of, it, like, a Matahari thing going on, right? And...
0: Yeah, that's probably true.
1: Like, I would just presume that's probably part of, like, this whole, like, thing of, like, billions or th- thousands of female assassins that he has all over the world. And... I guess, like, yeah, I guess it makes sense, because if you're, you know, if you get pregnant, you're probably gonna be less effective with your job, and... The of uh, like sneaking around and killing people and like throwing yourself like basically having no sense of life, no sense of self, except for whatever thing that he's sending you on. Um, I will say one of the things that I thought was um, I thought was a little interesting about this was that I'll be uh, I'll be kind of I'll be kind of frank here because that's just how I roll. I was looking at this, and, and, and I was like, oh, yeah, so, you know, like, the reality of living in a female body, and I was just like, you know, I I think, take it a little more seriously if they had a different female body in this movie, but they all have the same female body of, like, five, six, and 110 pounds. Yeah, okay. I, can um, of, I hadn't so, talked about that, but, yeah. Uh, and so, I think, there's, I think that they could have, I personally think that they could have actually explored some of the actual physical limitations that w- female bodies can have, right? Because what, because what it ends up happening is they're kind of all treated as if like super soldiers and that they actually can do anything. And like, I had to have my husband help me open a soda bottle the other day because my grip strength is just nothing. Like, I just couldn't do it. I can, you know, we have very, very weird forms of strength as women, right? Like, you can carry all of the baby equipment, but like, oh, my God, this one jar is just too much.
2: And I just so like I, how they, oh, go ahead. Oh, and
1: I was going to say, I felt like it would have, I actually feel like this, it would have felt a little more real or would have felt more real to me if they'd actually confronted some physical limitations for things that they were trying to do. Does that make sense? Because what yeah. is happening is we, we treat these female, we, essentially they're all men. They're all men in that they're indestructible. They can lift anything. They can do anything. They can fight anybody. They just happen to have boobs, right? There's no limitation, natural limitation that comes with actually being a woman. Does
2: that make sense? Yeah. I okay. Well, I disagree with that somewhat okay, okay. because because of the scenes where she takes off her shirt and you see all the bruises on her back or when they have to stop and get Tylenol because, and she actually makes a point about like, uh, Yelena says something about like one of the big Avengers and, and uh, Black Widow gets offended. She's like, wait, the big ones. And she's like, yeah, I don't think the God that comes from the sky has to stop and get ibuprofen after a fight. Like, so I think that, you know, they, they really try to, I mean, it's a superhero movie, right. And it's a comic book movie, so it's yeah, not going to be like fair. realistic, but I do think they try to show like, her limitations as as a woman in the discussion about the, you know, you ripped out my ovaries and I you know, just really got up in there like that whole thing was just so like I, as much for the fact that it made uh, the man cringe as anything. I think that was a really important if she had just been talking to her sister about it, I don't think it would have had the same effect. But watching like the just the the words for female anatomy just like physically assault him like he just like cringes back, you know. Um, So I think that was a really powerful moment of like kind of them reclaiming their bodies in a way that had been taken away from them, especially like you were saying, um, Katie, in in contrast with the way it was not well dealt with in um, Age of Ultron where she like says that she's a monster because she can't have children and that line was pretty widely panned as pretty offensive to a a large swath of humanity Um, but like so, so having them kind of step back and talk about it more as like I am a victim here of what this, you know, what has happened to me. And, um, and then also seeing like, yeah, they're, they're jumping off buildings and doing ridiculous stunts and everything, but seeing that there is some kind of like realistic impact to their bodies, as opposed to, you know, Captain America who heals so fast, he can't even get drunk or, you know, Thor who literally has, you know, no, no problems or what, you know what I mean? Like, so I do think that they, within the bounds of it being a ridiculously OP superhero, you know, whatever, like, but, it, but I think that, yeah. They tried a little bit.
0: And actually, I do appreciate the degree to which, um, while you're right, still very, like, fit and taut and, like, a still pretty small person, I appreciate that Florence Pugh is not, like, boobalicious. Like, she still has a different yeah. body shape than Scarlett Johansson. Mm-hmm. Like, they don't all look like, um, oh, who am I trying to think of? Like, they don't all look like they were drawn for the comics. Oh, you know? Joel. Like,
1: you know, one thing like, I have so- noticed. Yeah, and this is so important that I had to rudely interrupt. I'm sorry. No, do it. Did do y'all it. notice how Scarlett Johansson had like the skin tight white jumpsuit, and then like Florence Pugh's like was just like normal. It, I it, I did notice that
0: it's different, particularly when he gives them these jumpsuits. They look huge lying on the ground. Yeah, well, Scarlett, Scarlett puts it in
1: Is, is <laughs> skin tight like all of her outfits are right? Like she's always wearing like the skin tight leather outfit. And Florence Pugh looks like she's, like, wearing, like, a slight, like, scrubs or something like that. Like, it's just not as fitted. And I kept being, like, I kept just noticing this. I was like, I wonder if Scarlett Johansson has some sort of claws that, like, no other woman in the movie can look as hot as I can or something like that. Like, (laughs) I just couldn't figure out why the fit was so different between the two outfits.
2: To
0: me, elena has been, to me, she's depicted as a slightly more, um utilitarian person. I'll say it that way. Like, Mm -hmm, she she, she chooses the vest with all the pockets because it's so useful. Like, you know, so she seems like, and I didn't even notice it. I see what you're saying now, but like, if I had noticed it, I might've just thought, well, Maybe she likes her pants a little looser because she seems like the kind of person who is all about function when it comes. Yeah, and to, it's
2: the, and it's opposed yeah. the to Natasha, who's the poser. Like that's her thing. <laughs> right. she's, like, Yeah,
0: she's calling Natasha
2: out for being a poser, and part of that is what she wears. Like she wears things on purpose. But like, and this is this kind of relates to like a separate but related issue of Black Widow's character. Weaponizes her sexuality, right? Like, yes, in one sense, she is yeah. eye candy. She is male gaze. She is all of those things that are kind of gross. And I wish that the camera would not linger so long on her rear end in every single scene. Like, come on. Even in but this movie, I was like, come in on. Movie, Yeah, even this movie directed by a woman, we still get this. But on the other hand, that's that's her thing, and I, I think that it's actually like that. There. She weaponizes her sexuality and her attractiveness because she's a spy. And I think that's really important to remember that like she's she's a very real world hero and she uses what she has to her advantage and kind of reappropriates the way people objectify her and even like the way they underestimate her to get what she needs. And we've seen this all the way back to the beginning, right? Like from her introduction and all throughout, you know, she'll she the the scene where she's tied up and and it looks like they're like torturing her but she's like i'm interrogating somebody what do you need you know like she she uses her vulnerability to manipulate other people to get what she wants Same with her sexuality so i think that is a really important difference in the characters is um yelena is much more of a direct kind of kick the door down and get it done and um natasha is much more of a a psychological manipulation and including using her sexuality
0: that's true. And you, she she even in Avengers, she uses apparent emotional vulnerability on Loki to get information from him. You know, um, you and that, that I one of the that's one of my favorite parts of that movie is you you think that he's gotten to her right by telling her all these things that she did in her past that he knows about or whatever. And then you realize that her apparent that she seems to break like she seems to like she's going to get upset. And then you realize that it, this is this has all been a ploy. like Yes. Yeah, so he, um, unders-
2: he underestimated her and she used it yes. to her advantage.
0: Yeah, exactly. But that's a great point that hadn't occurred to me as one difference. And I, you know, and Sarah, now that you say that, though, I'm, I'm now I'm, I'm trying to think forward. I feel like in um, Infinity War when you see her in the future then, and she's like wearing Elena's vest, I feel like when you get to that point, the rest of her clothing is a little, is a little bit different. I feel like she looks, she, her whole outfit is a little bit more utilitarian. Now, part of that is because at that point she and Cap and like the Falcon, they're supposed to have been on the run for like two years or something, you know? So she's probably not walking around in a skin tight black catsuit all the time because people will recognize who she is, right? You know, Um, but it is, it's interesting that kind of post her contact with Yelena. If you look at her, I, 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 now I want to look at what she's wearing <laughs> in all those later movies mm-hmm. that chronologically are supposed to be happening after this movie. Um, I also think for what it's worth, it's interesting too to, to look at the clothes that Yelena's wearing, the civilian clothes that she's wearing in the post credit sequence are really interesting. Like, yes. Uh, she's wearing like clashing patterns. Like I told David, I said, it looked to me like the, the clothing choices of a woman who's never been allowed to choose color. Or to choose her own clothes. Like I loved that.
2: About and that also uh, Russian influences, because Russian fashion tends to be a little bit um, more uh, vivacious. Oh, I didn't. Know. A lot of their like um, patterns and colors mixing and stuff like that. Yeah. I love that. I had no idea. Um, well, let's. I want to skip down, um, and I want to talk
0: about uh, how this movie's different than most of other superhero genre movies particularly in the MCU. And I know, Leah, this was your question. So do you want to
2: start on that? Yeah, I think it's really important that this was not a typical superhero movie, like because Black Widow is not a superhero, right? We talked about this a little bit, but like she's a human, she's a spy, and this is a spy movie. And like y'all even kind of touched on it earlier that it's very Bond-esque, like you have secret plans, you have surprise villain reveals, protagonists using intelligence along with the physical ability, uh, disguises, infiltration, like it's all the spy tropes, right? And I think that's important because it really helps her stay true to her character and allows her to be believable and interesting within the realm of, you know, it's a fictionalized you know it's not believable in the sense that it could actually happen but you know what i mean um like it's kind of a running joke now that in the first avengers um when they're all standing in the circle you know that iconic moment like she looks ridiculous holding her little pistol um when she's fighting this like invading alien army next to a super holder, super soldier and like the hulk and a literal god um it's not really her wheelhouse you know that's not really what she's she's good at and what she's trained for but I think it's really good that this movie stayed in her territory, you know? Um and at first I was really confused. Like you said, like I went to see this movie thinking it was gonna be another Marvel superhero movie. And I felt like I was always one step behind. Like I kept being like, What what is going on? I don't know. I don't understand Because I I thought I was watching a straightforward superhero movie. And once I realized it was a spy movie, then it made sense. Like, you're supposed to feel behind. You're supposed to gasp at the reveals and the secret identities and all this stuff. Like, if you look at it from that lens, I think it makes a lot more sense. And it really keeps her from having to be something that she's not. That makes a lot of sense to me. What do
1: you think, Sarah? So, as I was watching the movie, I guess one of the things that I, I kind of thought at the end of it was I was like, I really felt like this was a DC movie because it was much darker. It did not have a lot of the humor that you associate with Marvel movies. They have kind of that one scene where they're all sitting at the table with Yelena, Dave, David Harbour, uh, Rachel Vice, and they're kind of having their one moment of like bonding that they've had since they've they've been separated. And they're kind of cracking some jokes there, but that's that's kind of the only like really overtly that's the only scene where they're like hey we're really trying to go for humor to me and the whole movie and that's fine and i think part of it is just i had such an expectation based off of previous marvel movies with that you have you know you have this a wise cracking character
2: you didn't think that red guardian was was the comic relief
1: well i mean because and he, so he's funny, but he's funny in a ha ha ha, isn't he dumb? And not in a like he's not clever, if that makes sense. So oh, I guess
0: okay. in my head, I was. He always way repartee. La yeah, there Thor a repartee
1: of, rap- of like witty banter that is that's is frequently part of it. And Yelena has a little bit of that, but she's not like, making yeah. jokes to cry. It'd be funny, she's like she's deadpan. Right. She's not trying to be like, "Ooh, I'm trying to be she's not trying to quit. Like she's funny because she's very deadpan. And so there's there's some humor there, but it's just not nearly as overt as I was expecting. And so and it was it was a, it was a darker movie just in tone like there, we don't see any like. Really bright outfits or costumes, essentially, right, that you would normally do with uh, that you get with. Even with uh, one of the other female superheroes, like, even with Captain Marvel, right? Like, she's a really bright costume. Um, like, that her, uh, Captain Marvel is shot, and it is bright outside. Like, you have all this color. And there, and the other thing that you get with a lot of the other movies that, that also made it feel a little different to me is that, and especially all of, not necessarily the stage one movies, but almost all of the stage two and stage three, there's some other Avenger that's also part of the movie, right? And so I was kind of just sitting around waiting for, like, I just had all these expectations from the other ones. And that doesn't mean that this movie's bad by any means, but it it does mean that it was it was very different than I just, I just kind of presumed it would be. And it very much felt more like a DC movie because DC tends to be, like, literally darker visually, uh, darker thematically.
2: You know, I think that's a really good point. Like, this
1: is if this so it felt like this was Black Widow DC universe to
2: me. I think it's a really good point because this was the f- supposed to be the one to kick off Phase Four, right? And yeah. Phase Four is darker, right? Think about like WandaVision and Loki and all them. They do have a different tone than the previous phase, phases have. And this one getting messed up in the timeline and every like not getting to be released when it was so, it was supposed to come out first before WandaVision before any of them. So like it, I think that this it might have been more. Um, obvious that it was a, a switch or pivot instead of feeling like, well, it belongs back there. But I also think it should have been released after Civil War. I think that if they had done this movie in the continuity that it belonged in, that you're right, it would have fit more. They would have had to change it. Like they would have had to, like, I think if it had stayed in that phase and, and they would have, you know, made it more contiguous with the plot and the characters and everything, I think you could have solved some of the continuity problems. And I think you're right. I think it would have fit better. Did
1: it feel like it was a, it was, that it was a very small cast to y'all or is that just me because i was kind of like there are not very many people in this movie if you think about it. i mean you have like nameless russian soldiers in the background but in terms of like people we know and like okay this is this person's name it's like six people in that whole movie who we like we know their name
2: compared to the the last several like endgame and stuff we, we, yeah, we've we're gotten so used being, to the like 25 person ensemble cast yeah, yeah. totally and then is- and- Oh, go ahead.
1: That may have been a, on purpose. Like, they were like, no, we are making a Black Widow movie. We're not making a Black Widow hash. Like, they may have just been really trying to focus on just, just her. And so a lot of this may just be my very, very poor expectations or my expectations not being met. But I just kept kind of sitting there. And at the end of it, I was like, yeah, is this a good movie? I'm not quite sure if this is a good movie or not. Like, I didn't dislike it, but I was also it just did not live up to my initial expectations. And I, I think it's probably going to be one of those things where instead of like other, some of the other Marvel movies were like first watch. I'm like, yeah, awesome. I'm like, all right, this is, you know, it might take a couple of viewings before I'm like, okay, okay. And I really get into it.
0: I think, um I think probably the closest, the closest Marvel analog would be like winter soldier, which is not really very funny. um And it feels like a spy movie, <laughs> you know, like I think mm-hmm. that that, It's very much of a piece with that film, Um, though, even that one, you have crossover things happening. You have more than one Avenger in it. And I hadn't thought about you're right. It's 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 this one's a little bit of a cul-de-sac, right? It's very small. Um, And in some ways, it's a little bit of a relief. Like I I was rewatching through the MCU, just like folding laundry every time I had to fold laundry or something. And it was either right before we went to see Black Widow or right after I had watched like Endgame, And at the end of that movie, when everybody has been snapped back to existence and they all show up for the big battle it, watching it now, I'm like, I'm just tired. It's like so many people, it's so many named characters and it's just so overwhelming and um, kind of, you know, having watched it so close to then watching black widow it was a little bit that this the spareness of this movie like the the kind of scarcity you're right like the very small cast was a little bit of a relief to me um it was a you know a chance to kind of like take a minute and focus in really tight on a few people um and and it's it's tough too because like i i had completely forgotten that her name was even taskmaster <laughs> Because, like, it's not a very memorable name. Um, which, apparently, that character is super interesting in the comics.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah,
0: really cool, is. which is something you told me, Ailea. I didn't know that. Um, but, you know, she, you don't find out, really, her true identity till really close to the end of the movie. And I, I think it would have been interesting to find out more about her, to see her do more of anything.
2: once. Well, she's, and in the comics, you know, it's not a girl. It's a guy. And that was a pretty, yeah. pretty big shockwave. Went through the, uh, the fandom online about that one. They were a little upset uh, about that.
0: Well, I, we, we've we we've kind of, we've, we've meandered in the best possible way. And I'm really, I, I feel like everything we said was really, really good. But we do actually need to move on to passing on. But before we do that, any final thoughts? Is there anything else you guys want to say about this movie?
2: I'm glad that they finally did it. I wish they had done it earlier. And I hope that going forward that they will not do it as a, like, you know, afterthought. Um, but we'll consider the female characters as prime characters worthy of solo movies on their own, in their own time.
1: I would say that I like I I love Natasha. I I had I was very excited for this movie like for the 2 years or so that we were like oh guys we're going to do this episode never mind guys we're going to do this episode never mind. So I was, I was really glad to finally get to see it but I wish that they had allowed like because I wish they had allowed a little more subtlety and that the villain was that she had a better villain. I think a lot of times, you know, Marvel can, one of the long-term complaints with Marvel is that you basically, out of 8 trillion movies and $8 trillion, you essentially only have two good villains out of all of that, and you essentially have Loki, and then you have Thanos, right? And And so Marvel tends to have a lot of disposable villains who just kind of show up for one movie, you don't know much about them, and they kind of go away. And I felt like this was a particularly weak villain, and I think that a lot of times superheroes are only as good as the villains they go up against. And there was nothing about this villain that I just didn't, I, at no point I was like, oh my gosh, is Natasha not going to be able to make it? Like, you, I think sometimes you want that like element of, oh, are they going to do it? So that you really get like, yes, this is how awesome my hero or heroine is. Because look at this, look what they've defeated. And in this guy's is kind of a slime ball. Um, and so I... I wish that they had, I wish that they paid more attention at the, the villain had been better, maybe a little more charismatic so that you could be like, Ooh, I kind of see how people actually would want to follow him. Right. As opposed to this skeezy old guy. Does that make sense?
2: It does. Yeah, I, know, I know we've got to move on. I've, my counterpoint to that is I think the true villain of the story is her past. And the other okay. guy is just kind of the thing that she has okay. to do today. He's okay.
0: I mean, or, or, or maybe he's, he's like a symbol of that past. Right. But mm-hmm, I, I, yeah. that's an interesting take. I hadn't What I was going to say is that I think they tried to gesture at something bigger by showing you the like the ma- apparently massive scale of his human trafficking. But mm-hmm. you don't I mean it's like pictures on a screen, right? Like you don't really get to feel that. The yeah. best The best the best moments of that are actually right at the beginning. But you don't take I didn't take it super seriously because you don't really even understand what's happening at the very beginning. They show you all these really quick shots of like all these little girls in Mm -hmm. containers and like it's very disorienting. And I think they're trying to make you feel like Yelena and Natasha, like how they, you know, because they're shoved in. But um, so I think they tried to make it seem like he was this big, big, big baddie. But you're right, because we've never seen him before this movie. Like, and they don't even, they could have, you know, they could have made him deeper by, you know, saying, like, that, you know, losing his own, apparently losing his own child, right? Because you think that maybe his kid got killed or whatever because of the Black Widow, like, that it somehow broke him even worse and made him even more evil, right? Because, you know, because of the trauma. But then you found out that he just turned his own kid into a weapon. Like, I mean, yeah, so I, I see what you're saying, Sarah. I think. I do think that a hero is, is dignified by a good villain, but I, I also, Leah, I like, I like that idea that um, he's maybe not even the real problem, right? Um, and you can see that, too, like, and he's definitely not the only, he's, he's definitely not the cause of their interpersonal friction, right? You know, Yelena says to Natasha, okay, but you never came back to, to get me. You know, you escaped Mm -hmm. with your life and were able to make a new future and you didn't even come and see what happened to me. You didn't come looking for me. And she was like, well, I, you know, like she kind of like deflects a little bit and she's like, no, but you could have. And you didn't, you know, and so that, you know, they're kind of the relational trauma in this movie. A lot of it doesn't have, you know, a ton to do with him. Um, I I would have liked to see Rachel Weisz character get more of a reckoning for the fact that she literally designed all the mind control.
2: Like yeah, there was a big fan theory that she was going to be Taskmaster, and I actually think that might have been stronger. It would have meant, of course, that she was evil, and I like that she's good. But yeah, I think that pulling her in, she was underused for sure. Yeah,
1: I I I think it would have been stronger if she had been Taskmaster, but I think the movie had a, it felt a little bit like it was afraid to let a woman also be overtly bad in a woman that was about movie that's supposed to be about like girl power and like reclaiming yourself and all this. That it, it felt like it was afraid to let a woman be a villain in it, and, and I do think that, I do think mm-hmm. it would have been a stronger movie had Rachel Weiss's character actually, like, been Taskmaster.
0: That's a cool idea. I hadn't heard that, but I really, I like that a lot. Um, well, let's, let's go ahead and pass some things on, um, because we've, we're getting, I think we're at the one hour mark at least. So, um, Sarah, why don't you go first? What are you recommending tonight?
1: So, tonight I'm, uh, recommending a fairly well-known, um, i will say we, i'll say i'll recommend either the anime or the manga of uh, gunslinger girl this is a manga or anime uh whichever you prefer to uh consume about uh, young girls in italy who are essentially orphans and they have had uh they've kind of been cybernetically enhanced and they are assassins and it's kind of a political thriller it's really really well done it's pretty violent uh, but it is very, very enjoyable, beautiful artwork and uh, a lot of the same stuff that our uh, Black Widows go through, like the brainwashing, all the stuff. They have conditioning, uh, they have handlers, all this kind of stuff. It, there's a lot of really cool stuff that goes with it. So I will recommend Gunslinger Curl.
2: Thanks. Aaliyah. how about you? I am going to recommend the Black Widow Golden Book. You remember those little golden books we used to have when we were kids? There's a Black Widow Golden Book? There is a whole series (laughs) of them for all of the Marvel characters, and my kids adore them. Both my nine-year-old and my six-year-old absolutely adore them. And the Black Widow one is super cute. And um, so, yeah, they're just little gold. I mean, we get them at the library, um, but they just do like a little story. They tell about each of the characters and it's all like kid friendly, you know, obviously, and um, little drawings and stuff. But it is a really fun series and a really great way to I don't know. If, I mean, I know, Katie, your kids are the same way that like they love everything about the idea of superheroes, even though they're not nearly old enough to watch like an actual Marvel movie. And so this is a fun way that they feel like they're kind of participating in our discussions of different characters and stuff, um, being able to kind of be exposed on a very kid friendly level.
0: That's awesome. I I had no idea. We have the Princess Leia Golden Book, I Am a Princess. <laughs> Um,
2: that's awesome. Yes, I love that one, too. <laughs> yes,
0: um, but I didn't know there was a Black Widow one. Yeah, we need to get him, because, yeah, my kids know all the names, because my little guy who's five likes to talk about it, so I've told him about all kinds of superheroes. Um, I made the mistake of mentioning Deadpool one time, and he's like, I love Deadpool. I'm like, you do not love Deadpool. Like, <laughs> you have no idea what you're talking about, and I can't even tell you why it's inappropriate, but just please don't go to school and say I love Deadpool.
2: Um, right. Your
0: teacher's going to think I'm the worst parent in the world. Um, so, I am recommending, um, I'm going to be really pedestrian and recommend something that's already really popular but i really enjoyed it so i'm going to recommend marvel's loki if you haven't watched it yet listeners um it's also very good very good. good um it's the most recent tv series um so they started with wandavision and then did falcon and the winter soldier um and then now loki um obviously a big showcase for tom hiddleston and but i i really enjoyed the series um it's it's not perfect because no TV series is, but it's fascinating. That's the word I'll use. It's a fascinating um, look and really important for setting up some things that are going to be coming in the MCU, which I appreciate that there's a lot of weight um, uh and some of the multiverse, I mean, you know, this, this, this series had to happen. So then when we get to Doctor Strange and the multiverse of madness, we know what anybody's talking about. Right. Um, and it's interesting that they put that in a TV series. Um, so definitely check out Marvel's Loki. Really interesting female characters. Um, and, uh, you know, you get to ponder what would happen if you uh, developed a relationship with a variant of yourself. <laughs> so um, it's a fascinating look. So check out Marvel's Loki. Um Well, listeners, thanks so much for walking through Black Widow with us. We are so excited that we got to finally talk about this movie, um, because Sarah's not joking. We have been, we have had this in the works for ages, and I just kept having to push it back on the schedule, push it back on the schedule. So we're thrilled to have finally brought it to you. Thank you for listening to the Christian Feminist Podcast. We love to hear from you. Um, We love your emails and recommendations, and we love when you guys contact us on our Facebook page. So if you have topic or reading recommendations for future shows, or if you just want to connect with us, you can do that at Christian Feminist Podcast. At gmail.com. You can also find us on our Facebook page or at the uh network's Twitter handle at ch Radio Network. And you can check out the show notes from this and all our other episodes at the Christian Humanist blog at ChristianHumanist.org. The Christian Feminist Podcast is a member of the Christian Humanist Radio Network. Kristen philippic is our press liaison. For Sarah Klooster and Ilea Grubbs, I'm Katie Grubbs. Tune in in two weeks when we'll discuss the women of Lord of the Rings. Until then, in Essentials Unity, in Non-Essentials Liberty, and in All Things Love.